We're continuing our, our series called The Weight of Words, where we started out last week thinking about the fact that our words weigh a lot. And I hope that if you learn nothing else from this series, you just hear that phrase, that your words weigh a lot. The words that you use consistently, the words that you say about yourself, the words that you say about your life, they weigh a lot, they matter a lot. The words that you share uh, with others, it's actually a pretty big deal. And I want to start with a real um, cheery question to get us started off uh, this morning. What is hell? Think about what your answer might be if we're having a conversation over coffee. You might think of the Trader Joe's parking lot. That might be one that you um, come up with. But um, what what is it? What is hell? And you might have good answers, and you might have thought about that a lot, that it's like the separation from God, and we would often think about like a place that we go um, when, when we die, that there's judgment for sin. And we would think of a scene perhaps like this, this picture of a Simpsons episode. Um, it's kind of like Dante's Inferno, where there's a like, tomato soup and people are frying. Homer's looking out into his future, not so sure that he's made all the best life choices. But what's interesting is, though I think the understanding of what happens after we die, some of it is a biblical concept, the Bible often talks about hell being something that, that we participate in and contribute to in the here and now. Like, it's not just about this place that we go after we die. So last week we looked at this verse, and I want to just really hone in on this verse because I think it's really important for us to think about. Um, James chapter 3, verse 6, um, where he talks about what we're talking about, the fact that we use our mouths and our tongue and our, and our language um, to create good or evil in the world. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's just a very strong thing to say about words. We just can think that words aren't all that important. They're not that big of a deal. We can just use whatever words, and it's not like that important. We can just say things to somebody, it's not that big of a deal, and we'll just ask for forgiveness later. But we just need to realize that James is talking about like the things that we say to each other, the things that we like communicate into the world, they set a direction for us. And your tongue can set you in a direction. You can bring about hell through your mouth. One thing that is interesting, I was doing, doing some reading around this concept, and um, you, I'm sure you're all very familiar with the famous rapper Eminem, all his works, I'm sure. Um, lots of you are very familiar. If you don't know anything about Eminem, um, one thing that you might know is that he uses a lot of cursing in his um, songs, and you might have like like, change the radio station because, like, they kind of bleep it out, but you can still kind of tell what the word is. And Eminem, they're doing an interview with him, and they were as a reporter, and this reporter is kind of talking about, like, his life. What's it like to be Eminem as a dad at home? You know, what's it like for, for that? And he said, you know, it's actually very different. Like, you might not expect this, but I don't allow cursing in my home. Eminem. <laughs> and the reporter was very taken aback by this, and he was like, whoa, whoa, are you, are you serious? Like, you... Like, that seems a little bit weird because, like, all the parents in the world are angry at you for your songs. So that seems like a little bit of a weird take on this. But he said, no, I don't allow cursing in my home because I know the power of words. And I can use it on the radio, and I'm glad people buy it. I'm glad I'm selling albums and selling records and selling out concerts. But I know that words matter. And so when I'm at home, I'm going to be very careful about what I say. Which is a bit shocking because it's Eminem. 
There's, you think about words, we have that phrase that we talked about last week, that sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me, which is the most untrue phrase in the world, because words have directed your life and put your life on a certain trajectory and caused you to maybe make decisions that you normally wouldn't have. And I think it's unfortunate, one of the things that technology gives us the ability to do is consistently like tell our side of the story of things. And so we are able to just constantly put our version out there. Several years ago, I was going to, there's a high school girl in our church who was was part of like a dance troupe, and so I was going to her dance performance, and I, during the afternoon, I said, hey, a few of us are coming over, like, it's at seven, right? And she said, yeah, it's at seven. And so she said, and just so you know, I'm, my back's hurting a little bit, so I don't know if I'm going to be able to dance as well as usual. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like, it's not too, much of a stretch to think I don't really know anything about dancing at all necessarily. And I went to the show. I, I thought it was fantastic. I thought she did a great job. I couldn't tell that her back was, was hurting at all. I thought it was fantastic. And as I was going home, I was reflecting on that experience and how if I was in high school, I would have done the exact same thing because I played high school baseball. Mostly I watched high school baseball as it was um, being played out in front of me. I played every once in a while, but it wasn't all that often. And I know that if I was in high school when we had the technology to have texting conversations and someone was saying, hey, Brian, I'm coming to your game today, I'd say, oh, well, just FYI, like I'm probably not going to get in. And I could put in a bunch of different reasons. The coach doesn't like me or, you know, I'm hurting a little bit. I could just kind of put that in there. And it might have been true. And I'm not saying this girl's back wasn't hurting her. It might have been true. But is it really the whole truth? One of the ways that I think technology is dangerous is we can just constantly, like, use our words to put out our sides of the story, to stand up, like, for ourselves. And you have these platforms to constantly be putting out, like, your version of the world. And that's not necessarily a terrible thing, but just know that it's dangerous. And if you're constantly just putting out your own version of things, whatever it happens to be, you can end up in a pretty dangerous place. When we think about fake news, we think about whatever news network we don't like. But in reality, we all participate in fake news. We all put our versions of the story out there. And we need to be careful about that especially when it comes to the church, because we need to reclaim the sacred value of words. And oftentimes, I think as Christians, we can have the dirtiest mouths. And I'm not saying that you go home and like cuss people out on your way home. But one of the ways that we can do that, I think, is by having this, this like section of words that we don't say. It's like all the four-letter words and stuff. It's like, I don't say that, so like I can just kind of say whatever I want. I don't say, like, you know, these things. I don't say the thing Eminem says in his, like, lyrics, but I can say whatever I want. And James would say that that sets a direction for your life. And it matters what you say. The words that you use, especially in Christian community, especially in any sort of community, but in, in a Christian community, we're called to be better about this. John Acuff, who is a kind of comedy writer. He writes a blog called Stuff Christians Like, which is usually uh, pretty funny. Um, He said that in the South, and we don't necessarily use this phrase, but they call it bless their heart syndrome, where you can just say, like, bless their heart, and then anything you want about that person. But as long as you've blessed their heart, then you're good. You know, like, you can just, like, fill in anything and just say, like, oh, you know, this is a terrible person, got a terrible temper, but bless her heart. You know, she's trying her best. And, you know, we're not in the South, 
So we might not use bless her heart, but we can use other stuff. We can say things like, you know, I love the guy, but... Or I would totally say this to her face, but... And the answer and response might be to that, then do it. You know, go, go ahead, say it to his or her face. And John Acuff says that in Christian circles, sometimes it can be like, did you hear about Susie? And um, you say, no, I don't. Please tell me so I can pray more effectively for her. And this is some of the most destructive forces that our communities have because your words weigh a lot. Your words got you your job. Or got you fired from your job? Your words got you some, your close friends, the things that you share, the ways that you share relationship. Your words got you your spouse. Your words got you in a parking ticket or out of a parking ticket. Your words weigh a lot. And to act like, you know, we can just be okay because we don't use a certain bank of words and those are just the ones that I avoid. But other than that, I can say whatever I want. is contradictory to the story of Scripture. Remember how Genesis starts. Genesis chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 tells us this, that the earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. Let's read that together. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So from the very beginning of Scripture, God is is in some way communicating into the world and saying things and creating a world out of the words that God uses. The Bible starts out like this. That God sees the world as formless and void and communicates something. And I would argue, though you don't have the power, perhaps, to like, do what God does and say, you know, let there be light or give me a sandwich or something like that. And I would argue that our words still create worlds. They create the worlds that we live in. It's the words that you share with, with your partner that over time make your marriage either a great one or a bad one. It's the words that you share with your friends. Like Over time, those things make your relationships either good or bad. James would say, be careful about it. There's a destructive force to the words that you use. Don't act like you're just okay because there's this certain bank of words that you don't say. James says there's a destructive power that is capable in all of us that can be released into the world. And so when your coworker is gossiping in the neighboring cubicle, he's not just being annoying, he's breathing hell into the office. Because hell isn't just a place you go when you die. That you can be a part of bringing heaven or hell to the earth right now. And as God looks out over the world in Genesis chapter 1, it says that it's in this basic chaos and void, and what God brings to it is order, peace, and harmony. Over the days of creation, God brings this this order and this structure. What if you considered your words that way? That instead of like just trying to put your side of the story out there, or instead of just trying to do all this stuff and use your words to try and control the world, what if you said, I want to just use my words every single day? You could very simply just make it your mission to use your words to do what God does right at the beginning of Genesis. Let there be light. I just want to give more light to the world, the world through my words. And yes, there will be times when I might need to talk with somebody and have a hard conversation. Yes, there's going to be some times, but I'm going to have that with them and not about them. 
Because we are tempted to breathe hell into the world. And you've all experienced this. We have all experienced times like this where you have seen this happen. There was a website, which it's hard for me to even say, it was called Juicy Campus. And you might be familiar with it or maybe not. Um, It described itself as the enabler of online anonymous free speech on college campuses. And it allowed people, um, it started in... um, March of 2008, with just a few colleges, and it allowed people to share the juiciest gossip about whatever was going on on their college campus. And it spread like wildfire. So it started in March, and by October, there were over 500 college campuses that were using this. And it became this big debate, should college campuses be allowed to use it or not? How is this going to go? And people who were writing about it, critical of it of the time, said that it was like mean girls without any of the irony, basically. And as people would post this anonymous stuff, um, it was oftentimes very racist and very sexist, and it's just horrible stuff that people would post. And obviously there might have been some truth in some of the things that people were saying, but since it was anonymous, people were just like posting all this stuff. And it became this huge debate because like, is it free speech? Should we allow this to keep going or not? But even though there was all this controversy around and people weren't sure how to handle it, Juicy Campus, as I said, grew over the course of like six months from just a few universities to over 500. And eventually, it shut down. But it wasn't because it wasn't popular. It was because they had no way to make money off it. Because Amazon's not really going to tag their name over on the side of that thing, right? You're not going to like throw some advertising money at this thing. And so it shut down because they couldn't find a way to turn a profit. Again, it wasn't because it wasn't popular. James might say it spread like wildfire. It might think of it as coming from hell. Because that website, even though it was up for just a few months, probably ruined a lot of lives or had a deep effect on a lot of lives. And people who participated in it just didn't think about the fact. Their words weigh a lot. James consistently, and probably you could argue the most practical book of the New Testament, he talks about the positive things that you see when you are using your tongue effectively. Um, He says that you can use your words to ask for wisdom. You can use your words to affirm God's will. You can use your words to pray and praise. You can use your words to call on elders for healing prayer. You can use your words to confess sins. But you can also choose to use your words for destructive purposes, to blame God, to show favoritism, to fake concern, to quarrel, to slander and judge, to boast and to brag, to grumble and to swear. As I've consistently like, thought about this series, I want to do something really practical as we came into the new year. I've thought in some ways that the tongue is like the cause of and solution to everything. That it may not be the action that you do, but it's the, the words behind those things that create the world that we all are living in. Studies show that we have around 30 conversations a day, some of those face-to-face, some of those via email or via text. What if you just decided, I want to use the words that I share with people to bring light and positivity into the world? I want to use the words that I share with people to not talk negatively about somebody else, but to bring love, light, and hope into the world. 
And I'm going to have 30 conversations on Monday, and I'm going to have 30 conversations on Tuesday. I'm going to have 30 conversations on Wednesday. And over and over again, I'm just going to consistently make the choice that, that my tongue, the way that I use my words, it's going to make a difference in the world. When the whole Christian movement really begins to take off in Acts chapter 2, what's happening there is really like a a recommissioning of the world. People say that it's like a reverse of the Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, um, words get confused and different nations and tribes are formed because of like the different languages that that come up and different issues start to happen. And then in Acts chapter 2, as the Christian movement really takes off, um, the Holy Spirit comes down and it says that people are under, like able to understand each other. That miraculously, this movement begins at Pentecost, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 3, that tongues of fire come down and rest on the people. And through this miraculous event, the words of God are spoken through them, and the Christian movement kicks off with a bang. Sometimes we don't give the tongue enough credit, but I find it fascinating that in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of Christianity, like a tongue, is this miraculous thing. I believe it still is. I believe the words that we share with each other deeply matter. And you're creating a certain kind of world when you think about the words that you use. You're choosing to create a world that is more peaceful, more loving, a world that is more encouraging and hopeful, or choosing to try and destruct things with the words that you use. James would say, be very careful. Your mouth Set your trajectory for your life, your heart, your life. Those things follow. Oftentimes, when it comes to like having conversations or destructive things that we say about other people, I think it's a search for control. I think we're trying to use our words to control situations and to get out in front of things and, you know, have our side or our version out there, but the issue is that as you try to control things with words, you think that you're like tearing other people down and you're building yourself up, but what it creates is actually more paranoia in yourself. Because if you take Charlie out to coffee and you're like, hey, Charlie, did you hear about Sam? Because Sam's not here anymore. Did you hear about what's going on with her? The issue is like I have this conversation in that moment, it might feel a little bit satisfying to like dump this load of whatever Sam has done to me, like to put it onto Charlie. But the issue is then like Charlie goes his separate way. And I start to believe that Charlie and Sam are talking about me. Because I've had that moment of control that's felt like a little bit good to like put that out there and like try to say, hey, here's this issue. And then the world goes on and I'm not able to control that anymore. I can't control that conversation. I can't control what Charlie does with that. I can't control what happens when maybe Sam hears about it. I can't control any of that. And so we think like when we do some of this stuff that we're gaining some sort of control, but the actuality, the punishment fits the crime. Because when you are doing that about someone else, you start to think that everybody's doing it about you. Because if you're somebody who's putting less trust and putting destruction into the world, you're going to assume other people are doing something about you. And what starts to happen is, I would argue, you create a certain kind of hell on earth for yourself. Because you live in a world where you can't really trust anybody. And you think that you're using your words to control in a certain situation, but in reality, it all just breaks down after a while. 
We are so invested in the U.S. in freedom of speech, and I think that's important, and it's all interesting to figure out exactly what that looks like. But James would encourage us to think often about freedom not to speak. That we don't have to speak all the time. Because we need to create a world that's big enough for other people to live in with different views and different perspectives. Donald Miller wrote one of my favorite Christian books, Blue Like Jazz, and in that book, there's a story at the end of it about a guy named Nathan. And uh, Nathan was a a student that was at Reed College when Donald Miller was around Reed College. And uh, he said that Nathan was this short, stocky kid with a speech impediment. Miller said when he first was talking with him, it was almost his impulse, Donald Miller's impulse, to like kind of laugh and make fun of Nathan behind Nathan's back. But he noticed that the other students at this college, which is this like very liberal institution in Portland, he noticed that they didn't really talk about him like that. In fact, they just kind of respected Nathan for who he was, even though he was a little bit different. Miller later was talking to some ministers in California, and he was asking about how hard, people were asking him, how hard was it to live at a place like that that was so immoral and like all the things that was going on? It was a college that was very notorious. And Miller said this, he said, I've never thought of Reed as an immoral place. I suppose it's because someone like Nathan can go there and talk like Elmer Fudd and nobody will ever make fun of him. And if Nathan were to go to my church, which I love and would give my life for, he would unfortunately be made fun of by somebody somewhere behind his back and all, but it would happen. That's tragic. What I love about Reed College is there's a foundational understanding that other people exist and they're important. And to me, Reed is like heaven in that sense. And I'm not somebody who's preaching this sermon because I think we have a major issue with this as, as a church personally, and I'm kind of like, wow, Donald Miller, that's surprising that he would be at a church where you feel like somebody like that would be made fun of. But I would argue that, yes, Reed College is a little bit like heaven in that sense. And that's what we are called to do. And understand that the things that we say sometimes in conversations about people and not with people, those things are destructive and it creates a certain kind of hell on earth. Because our words weigh a lot. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he says at the end of it that thy will be done on earth as as it is in heaven. And generally, when, when we think about that, we think about it from the perspective of doing good things in the world. So we think of it's awesome that we support Chris and Crystal's ministries and the work that they do in Africa and the different ministries that we support. That is literally bringing heaven to earth. It's bringing water to people who need water. It's bringing education to people who need education. When we go and serve at Ascensia, we get to share meals with friends who need it, who desperately need a warm meal. When we host for Family Promise, it's putting shelter over the heads of people who desperately need it. And that is literally bringing heaven to earth. But what I think Jesus would want us to think through, what James would want us to think about from this passage is that bringing heaven to earth starts here. It starts in the words that we say. It's not just the actions that we do. We bring about heaven to earth with the words, the things that we think about, the things that we say and share with other people. It matters a lot. And I hope this last week you've taken up my challenge, and if you haven't this last week, I hope you think about it 
this week. Remember when we talked about the passage where Jesus says to pray for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? And I challenge you to, to think of somebody and maybe you're like, oh, I'm too like, holy to have an enemy. All right, just somebody that you really don't like. And if you don't have one of those, just pray for the rest of us, all right? Just use, use, this, month, use this month to pray for the other, others of us who are in here. And what Jesus is trying to communicate there is that the path to forgiveness starts by first praying for your enemies, for saying their names out loud before God and saying, God, I hope good things happen to that person. God, I hope that you will bring about good for him or for her, and that's it's a hard relationship for me, but God, I just pray that you would bring good things to them. Because Jesus knows what James says, that your words, they lead your life. And again, as I said last week, if there's somebody that like, the first few times you actually have some hard time praying for, and you've probably found a good person. Your words weigh a lot. And part of bringing heaven more to earth is using our words incredibly wisely. And not just saying, I'm all right, because I don't use that list of words over there. But understanding that every conversation that we have brings about a certain sort of world. May we strive to be a place where people like Nathan wouldn't be talked bad about, where we would fully understand just how destructive our words would be. Because James says there's an unbelievable power in the words that we speak, the words that we share. Be careful about the direction of the words that you use because they guide life. Philip is going to come now and um, sing a, a closing song, one that is uh, familiar to us, Here I Am to Worship. And it starts with, with the phrase, light of the world, you step down into darkness. So as we sing this song, I want us to just kind of put our hearts in the place where we recognize that God's light has come into the world and that changes all of our actions and our behaviors, including our words. And may we, as we sing this song, just truly submit even our words this week to God. Let's stand and worship together.